Welcome to Real Decarbonization, a podcast about how the oil and gas industry will lead into the energy future. I'm Tisha Schuler, your host and the CEO of Adam and Team Energy. This season, we're doing mini pods to accompany my new book, Real Decarbonization, How Oil and Gas Companies Are Seizing the Low Carbon Future. You'll hear some new voices and some familiar ones like our guest today. And you'll hear about what resonated with them in the book and what they think is coming next. On today's show, I speak with Kevin Krauser, CEO and co-founder of Avatar Innovations. Uh, Kevin has such an interesting background. He got a BS in neuroscience from McGill University and then an MBA from the Global Energy Executive Program at the University of Calgary. He started his career working on oil rigs for Beaver Drilling. And from 2004 to 2017, he worked his way up to company CEO. He left to co-found Avatar with Brian Trudell, and now he serves as the company's CEO. You can learn more about Kevin in our show notes, and I think you'll enjoy hearing today about his really fresh perspective on what emerging leaders in our industry are interested in today. So here's a listen to my conversation with Kevin Krausert. Kevin Krausert, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me on the Real Decarbonization Podcast. Thanks for having me back. Well, let's just jump in because our listeners know that I love the work that you and Brian Trudell are doing with Avatar Innovations because this work you're doing is contributing to real decarbonization, but maybe not everyone has heard about what Avatar is doing. Can you tell our audience a little bit about it? Yeah, you know, we're a venture studio for large cap oil and gas to work on energy transition solutions. So the model is unique and groundbreaking in the sense that large cap oil and gas, Suncor, Synovus, Enbridge, TC Energy, the Canadian majors, place hundreds of their emerging leaders into Avatar, where they race across a 12-week program finding opportunities in the energy system to work on energy transition technologies and solutions. The best ones, we have partnerships in place with the University of Calgary and SAIT Polytechnic here in Canada, where they get a little bit of seed capital and they go and build a prototype. And then the best ones of those, we place early stage capital behind to be able to bring them to market. And so people keep trying to apply the Silicon Valley model of innovation to the energy industry, but it's a fundamentally different structure. We're dealing with molecules and electrons. We're not dealing with zeros and ones. So the Avatar model has proven to create a sandbox for oil and gas to try new technologies in a risk-free environment. And then because you have the experts in the room who are familiar with the energy system, these technologies can get to market much faster. You know, one of the best technologies generated last year went from a concept to a commercial pilot with one of North America's largest pipeline companies in less than 12 months. And so innovation in oil and gas has historically been measured in in decades, not months. And so this forum is generating a lot of excitement because it's not just empowering the workforce of the future, but also putting oil and gas in the driver's seat of the energy transition. And this is a race that we can win and we need new innovation structures and forums so we can meet the opportunity in front of us at record speed. Yes. When I describe Avatar in shorthand, I always say it's 
it's innovation for decarbonization by industry for industry because you really give this leadership opportunity to emerging leaders. You give companies access to seeing the efforts that are underway. It's unique. It's exciting. And my only critique of you, Kevin, as you know very well, has been that you are have been Canada-centric. And as much as I love to spend as much free time as possible up in Calgary, I'd love to see your work in the U.S., which I understand you're finally coming. So tell us a little bit about what a partnership in the U.S. looks like and how all of us can help. So through the Canadian majors that we work with, Enbridge and TC Energy most notably, they already have large, large presences in the U.S., so over the pandemic, it was easy to pull in U.S. participants because everything was, was virtual. And so now we have, you know, about 30 U.S. alumni who've gone through the program out of the total of 644. And they've been loving the program so much, they've sort of self-organized a, a group to, uh, to bring us to the, the States. So we haven't announced the, the details yet, but we are in conversations with not just the Canadian operators who have U.S. presences, but U.S.-based entities to be joining. And we look forward to announcing those details in about a month. That's great. There's a lot of really cool partnerships happening with U.S.-based companies across the U.S., but Avatar is really unique and I don't see it as competitive, but really more another opportunity, another approach and another tool for our, our company. So I'm looking forward to see to seeing what happens next. So Kevin, I, I want to talk a little bit about a double entendre I made in the name of the, my new book, Real Decarbonization. So the obvious interpretation is companies translating decarbonization aspiration into actionable 10-year plans. But the other one is really about, for civic leaders, if you care about decarbonization, then you really want to include the oil and gas industry at the table as your partners. And I know that you share this vision with me that decarbonization and addressing climate happens better, faster, more reliably, more affordably with oil and gas at the table. Can you talk a little bit about your view of the next 10 years and if industry puts its leadership might behind leading energy transition efforts, what could be possible? Yeah, I couldn't agree more with the way you frame this. The reality is reaching a net zero 2050 is going to require innovation, collaboration, and investment on a scale we've never seen before. And the fastest, cheapest, and simplest way for us to get there is going to be to use the multi-trillions of dollars worth of existing energy infrastructure that includes largely oil and gas to figure out ways to reduce emissions. The most expensive, complicated, and slowest way to get there is going to be to go and invent some brand new energy system like some people are presenting. So if you take that assumption that oil and that the energy transition is not just wind and solar, it is also carbon capture, it is also hydrogen, it is also biofuels. It is also, also methane emissions reduction technologies. These are things we're already experts in, in oil and gas. So it's not an or conversation of we're going to get rid of you. It's an and conversation around how can we leverage the horsepower, the investment, 
the energy system that we have today to bring about not just opportunity, but an orderly transition. And so I think there's been an increasing awakening in oil and gas that not just is this an opportunity for our industry, we can win this. And so let's get after it. And I think you're starting to see many of these investments. And what I even also will say, even in a net zero 2050 environment, the International Energy Agency is still forecasting 60 million barrel of oil a day world through petrochemicals, through asphalt for roads, through plastics, and through abated usages of petroleum products. So we can win this. This is not a we're getting rid of anything. This is a we're adding a whole bunch of opportunity to this sector. Just as we got lead out of gasoline, we can get carbon out of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I always love the framing of this is just the newest challenge. Let's win. <laughs> and in this context, winning is shared between civil society and the opportunities that it presents for companies. I want to build off of this idea of winning and thinking about the employees of the companies that you work with in the Avatar program. So one of the things I learned, I probably shouldn't have been surprised, but really in all the interviews I did for the book, everything kept coming down to the employees, of course, how the employees are prioritizing what they want to see the company do, how they're engaging in innovation, how they're bringing solutions to the table, but also how in some cases there might be cultural barriers to doing this decarbonization work. So I'm curious, Kevin, you get to work with a broad swath of industry's best and brightest. What do you see are their priorities around decarbonization? Are they focused on their career? Are they focused on doing good? What do they care about? And what do they want to see company leaders act on? First and foremost, it's empowerment. The changing demographics of the workforce You know, I grew up at a drilling company where, you know, you sort of got your orders and you either met the bar or you hit the road. And the difference I'd say now is not that there's a lower bar. I think there's actually a higher bar, but that higher bar is only achievable if you feel empowered that you're making an impact on a broader system. And so frequently inside oil and gas, we have very specific and structured HR and roles and positions because we have to make sure drilling rigs don't set on fire and pipelines don't spill. And so the structures we have are perfectly designed for delivering a safe and reliable energy system, but they can sometimes struggle with seeing your role as a drill pad optimizing engineer or a compression station engineer as part of the broader energy system and part of even then broader than that, how the energy system is contributing to the energy transition. So what we've created at Avatar is really that sandbox that you can be that drill pad engineer or that compression station engineer and have a chance to work off the side of your desk in Avatar generating energy transition technologies and solutions. So that work is empowering these individuals to see the role that they have in the broader energy system and probably contributing to the defining and towering challenge of our time, delivering a responsible, affordable energy while reducing emissions. And that is, I think, the opportunity. So I would encourage you know, leaders in oil and gas to find ways to recognize their employees, find ways to connect them with the broader energy system, and find ways to understand 
how they're contributing to the energy transition. And I think if you can structure on it, this isn't about free lunches and beanbag chairs <laughs> at the office. This is a lot of hard work. You know, most of the people in Avatar are working essentially two full-time jobs because they're that passionate about what this is. But when they see that they're valued, that they're empowered, it's pretty remarkable what they can do. And with the work I have, with the privilege of working with hundreds of young engineers in oil and gas, the future of our industry is bright if we can get that. Yes, I will say having gotten to sit in on several of your days with your cohorts, it is about the most inspiring thing you can do. <laughs> Spend time with, <laughs> with oil and gas employees who are feeling empowered to, in addition to their day job, build the energy future. It's it's so exciting. So let me take your metaphor and run one of my ideas by you, Kevin, and get your feedback. So I'm going to take your sandbox where industry is creating the energy future, and I'm going to put it in the middle of a playground. And I think that the world has changed in that external stakeholders, communities, investors, adjacent businesses, elected representatives, they are all expecting to have a high degree of input into what infrastructure gets repurposed, used, and built in the future. And so I actually think that we're going to have an unprecedented level of co-creation as we start building out decarbonization solutions with our communities. I want to see if you, one, if you think that I have that right. And two, have you had any experience with this in Avatar with having folks outside of the industry want to be a meaningful part of building the solutions that, that we're going to take going forward? Yeah, and I, I might have a unique perspective on this being uh, from Canada. I don't know if you guys down south have watched us try to build a pipeline for <laughs> the last decade. Yes. But I think that though the threads that we've seen in Canada around local opposition to major energy infrastructure, this nimbyism, not in my backyard sort of mentality, was front and center. But I'll give you an example of how the industry in Canada has transitioned on this. Back when Trans Mountain Pipeline, one of the famous pipelines in Canada was about to be built, only about 40% Canadians supported the pipeline. And through the messaging and tonal shift that our industry has done in Canada, where you've got the six largest oil producers in Canada who banded together to commit to a net zero 2050, investing in meaningful technologies and sharing the same ambitions as the public, support for this said pipeline in Canada has now increased to about 70%. So while it's the easiest thing in the world to do is to just find the people you agree with and only talk to them, the reality is the majority of people don't work in oil and gas. And so engaging communities early on and sharing the ambitions they want has led to some sort of positive results. And so communication and a tonal shift, and I think you've seen this sea change of a tonal shift in oil and gas in the last few years on this, I'm cautiously optimistic, we'll be able to get some of these big projects done. We're only going to get to the future we all want if we can get these big projects done. And, you know, there's always going to be some nimbyism aspect of, of any big project, but the prize is pretty big and you just have to make sure everyone feels like they're included in that. Yes. And there's some, I think, great examples in Canada of creating literal ownership and high levels of participation 
for communities in ways that inform opportunities for environmental justice work in the U.S. and the way that we're able to co-create big projects, like you said, which we're going to need with communities. So let me use that as the jumping off point for my final question for you, Kevin. I'm curious if an industry executive approached you and said, okay, I'm now ready. I'm ready to take my company on a, on a decarbonization approach. What are a couple things you would tell them to do? Maybe things you learned that you would have done differently or things you're observing. The most important things that industry leaders new to, to the decarbonization path should understand as they embark. The first thing I think would be to develop a coherent innovation and decarbonization strategy. This is a rapidly evolving space with new technologies popping up seemingly every single day. And by clearly articulating a corporate innovation strategy around this journey will provide greater levels of success so you're not just constantly chasing the next bright, shiny object. And any good kind of corporate innovation strategy does essentially three things. It scours the ecosystem and the world and looks for new opportunities that it can essentially either buy, copy, or kill. <laughs> and what are the tools and the techniques people are using on early stage technologies, on commercial grade technologies right now that might need a new financing structure to be able to get to market. But long story short, you need a strategy. Otherwise, you might spend a bunch of money not getting the results you're hoping for. Yeah, that's great advice. Thank you, Kevin. It is always a delight to have you. Thank you for joining me today on the Real Decarbonization Podcast. Thanks for having me and you keep up with the good work, Tisha. That's our episode for today. Thanks so much to Kevin for taking time to share his thoughts with us. There was really an interesting conversation we had at the end where Kevin talked about the importance of a coherent strategy because decarbonization is so complicated. And I do hope that if you're thinking about that, you will check out my book, Real Decarbonization, because I try to lay out a flexible approach for companies to identify and articulate, in fact, that strategy. I'd like to know what you found interesting today. So please take a moment to rate and review the podcast. And then you can also check out the book at realdecarbonization.com. If you want to know more about our work at Adamantine Energy, visit us at energythinks.com. I want to take a moment to thank Adon Rubio and Lindsay Slaughter for making the Real Decarbonization podcast possible. Until next time, I'm Tisha Schuler. as always wishing you and yours happiness, prosperity, and good health.